welcome to another episode of No Plans to Merge. I'm your host, Caleb Porzio. I'm your other host, Dan Colburn. Today's episode is brought to you by... Uh, what do you think, Dan? YouTube Live. Today's episode is brought to you by YouTube Live. Thank you, YouTube Live, for sponsoring the show. Caleb, let's talk about YouTube Live. Okay. So here's the deal. Here's... Let's just fucking open the kimono here. Please do. Listener, come take a gander at what's under my kimono. Um, the issue here is that we decided to use YouTube Live for streaming our podcasts. What are the benefits that YouTube Live affords us, Caleb? Right. So, okay. So here, here's the, the ideal scenario. Mm-hmm. We record... The main reason to record on YouTube Live is for YouTube fame and stardom. Yes. That the likes of Joe Rogan and mostly Joe Rogan has. And I watch JRE Extreme or what is it called? Like the real JRE or JRE something. The the Joe Rogan clips. Like I don't really mm-hmm. listen to mm-hmm. Joe Rogan in full. Yeah, but basically you just watch ever. random clips on YouTube. I just watch the random clips that are titled, you know, in such a like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So I do that. And I was like, oh, we should do that with no plans to merge. So here's the Have thing. Little clips. You and I are not going to sit there and clip out videos. We're not going to do it. We're too lazy. Well, we would if we knew what to clip out. That's problem number one is knowing what to clip out. But then like what? Am I going to like we're going to record on Zoom and then get the MP4 and like, you know, put it into like Windows Movie Maker. Right. We're right. XP. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. None of that's going to happen. That's not going to happen. So YouTube Live offers this really cool feature where if you record, if we record the podcast on YouTube Live, we can then make clips afterwards. We don't have to upload anything or cut anything. We just have to know where to clip it. And like in the middle of the stream, we can just drop a bookmark and say like, oh, something cool happened here. Yep. And then we can like go back and like see all those bookmarks. Right. And, and like know that that's a place where we need to clip something. And it's super easy to like create a highlight video on YouTube of like a moment in the stream. Yep. So our thinking was we do the live streams we somehow are caused to know about funny things that happen in the show right or good interesting whatever quality items in the show and we like bookmark them and then we were thinking we would go into youtube live and like clip them and then make little videos then we could like share them around on social media and blah 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 blah, blah. yeah they would go super viral we'd be huge they would go extremely viral because we're just really good at this yep um what is actually happening, Caleb? So our first attempt at this was like, let's just start getting our videos on YouTube in full. Sure. And we did that. The problem with that is that A, like we just talked about, it's hard to make clips from that. And B, just having the full ones out there, like some people watch, but it's not we like... We were getting like 70 or 80 views. We were. We were getting some decent slow growth. But in general, I think people like are just going to listen to the podcast. It, did, it, it basically was like, well, what do we title this thing? You know, yeah. it's just not a YouTube friendly format. Right. So, so yeah. So we, we thought that, okay, we'll go YouTube live. And we tried that. We like tweeted out like we're going live. And so yeah. I don't know that it's actually a particularly YouTube unfriendly format. What we did before. Yeah. 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 I think you're right to a degree. I mean, the, I know as a, like I said, my, the like user story for me is mm-hmm. watching Joe Rogan clips. Sure. You know, but people do watch full episodes. Uh, totally. Yes. Um, so we did that and here's the problem. 
There are two mm-hmm. problems, Daniel. Mm-hmm. Problem number one mm-hmm. is finding what to clip. Right. Like we tried one time writing down we... timestamps while we were recording. And we forgot halfway through that we were doing it. Reminder, we're lazy. We're not going to listen to this thing afterwards and for like timestamps. Yeah. So while we were recording, we tried this and it does not work. And it's super oh. unnatural. It's very bad. It's very bad. It's a no go. Uh-huh. So then we thought, all right, we'll have this live stream going and we'll ask the audience if you hear of something or if there's something that's clippable, just in the chat, throw like whatever we said. What did we say? We said type highlight. Yeah. Type highlight. In the chat. And then we would go back to the chat, find the timestamps. And everyone agrees. Everyone in the, in the yeah. chat's like, cool, I'll do that. Right. We've got like 10 people or whatever <laughs> listening to the show. Not a goddamn highlight in no the chat. Highlight. The entire time. So if we had a big enough live stream audience, it could work. But mm-hmm. we basically just told people like 10 minutes before and then a few people trickled in and out. So, and we did that yeah. twice. So we don't, yep. we haven't like built up this big live stream audience that have allowed us to use this highlight thing. So basically there's no good way outside of us putting in sweat to make these clips. Yes. So that's problem number one. Mm-hmm. So then what's been happening recently, and I think this is going to get to your problem number two. Okay. What's been happening is we come to record the podcast like we normally do. Mm-hmm. And I go, all right, you want to get the YouTube live started? And Caleb goes, <laughs> and so Caleb now doesn't like YouTube. Um, and I want to know why. <laughs> so I want to thank you, Daniel, for putting up with my bullshit. Because uh-huh. I think you and I work pretty well together in the sense that we we put up with each other's ridiculous antics uh-huh, uh-huh. um and you definitely put no. up with a good number of my ridiculous antics <laughs> sure a lot of starting and stopping with you. a lot of starting and stopping because in my defense it's like an experiment and you can't uh-huh. you know just adhere to the thing without you have to it's a, there's a feedback loop mm-hmm. but uh to your point yes i don't I, know that there's <laughs> been any feedback to incorporate into the loop as of yet Well, so here's the thing uh, so we started this and it was exciting and I, I was the one pushing this like that's that's you the are. really funny thing you here were the advocate I was the advocate of this I was trying to convince you to get on board well, with there this was like idea. multiple times on the phone where you're like Daniel what are we doing with the podcast like yeah, we need to like, how do we, we need to crank like, this what are, we, are we going to grow this thing how seriously do we take this it's fine if we don't want to grow it we can just leave it but yeah. like but let's talk about what it would look seriously? like if yeah, we like, grow, right so I like we're having these like <laughs> 45 minute phone calls about like what can we do with the show yep and I mean, I came up with, we both came up with some actionable steps. Mm-hmm. Like we could start, the easiest thing to do is to start by putting it on YouTube. Yeah. Then we try the clip somehow and then we got the live. So it was this very like slow rock tumbling slow thing. Slow roll. Yeah. Slow roll. But uh, somewhere along the line, my feeling changed. I'll tell you where, where along the line it was. It was immediately after the first step along the line. <laughs> no, no, not after the YouTube. When we were just... When we were recording, uh, when we were recording the Zoom call and then uploading uh-huh. it to YouTube, I was good you with that. You were cool. You were cool. It was when we went live. It was when we went live. There's two things that caused me to go sour on YouTube stuff. So there's the chat. If if like all these people had jumped on and been super jazzed about it, and I understand uh-huh. growth takes longer than that. Yeah. But if like everybody freaked out about it and there was a lot of energy around it, I'd be into yeah. it. But I don't like putting time into things there's not a lot of energy around uh-huh. because it just feels sad to me. Uh-huh. And it got to the point where like it felt a little sad and 
I didn't like the extra overhead of like when you and I come to this show. You didn't show, actually have to do anything. We did all the well, overhead was on my end with the right, right. So with before YouTube Live, when okay. we had to record it and then we had to let Zoom like do its thing and then upload it. Yep. Added the overhead with the YouTube Live. My issue is being recorded live. It's like knowing two things: knowing that my face is on it now, and knowing that people are watching. That was the big thing. And I was like, oh, we're, we're, how do we interact with the audience? Because we can't screw over our podcasters. Mm-hmm. So I guess like we hang out in the beginning, then we record the show, and then we hang out at the end. But when we're recording the show, it feels weird. Like you're trying to have a conversation and pretend that people aren't listening, but they are, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's how it always is, but it's not, people aren't listening live. And it felt like the whole YouTube live window was hidden completely, you know? Mm-hmm. You're just having this normal podcast conversation, but there's an open connection, you know? Yep. I didn't like what that did, did to the dynamic. I felt like I was being too forced or something, you know? It's just like, it didn't feel as just like Daniel and I hanging and chilling together. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> you didn't feel at all that way? No. Zero. I would say those episodes, ironically ended up being some of the most like i said stuff i wouldn't normally say on the podcast episodes Mm -hmm. ever right just because of like the shape of the episodes Mm -hmm. um and like the timing and we had taken a week off and i had recorded that one video and that led to the big communism episode and it was like this whole thing right but like i definitely didn't feel any like oh i have to like worry about these people who are watching live Mm. um I mean, like, and then we went, remember we went back and there, there's like somebody came in and he's like, all right, so this has nothing to do with programming or whatever, not programming. It was just like, yeah, all right. So that was bad, but that I'm was out. our, <laughs> it's that just was stuff like that. That's like, it's like, why do we even need people involved in this, this part of it? That's what I had that feeling. Well, so here's the thing, right? It's like you, um, you had this initial thing, which was like, if a bunch of, if there was energy around it and a bunch of people hopped in and it was fun, yeah. yep. that would be fun. Right. But that actually takes like additional work. Right. Which yes. is that like, we need to like, like, I don't know that we had ever mentioned on the show that we would be recording live or like when that would be happening. Or right. then like, I don't know if we ever like tweeted about it except for like five seconds before we started. I tweet five seconds before I start live stream coding live streams and uh-huh. I get lots of people and it is v- it's very energetic. Mm-hmm. This is like the opposite. You know, I tweet when I tweet a live stream about coding, it's usually between 50 and 100 people. Yeah. And this was like, like we were crawling up to 10, you yeah. know. So I just felt like you try it. It's not there. You don't uh-huh. really push that hard to it for it. You know? Sure. What do you think? You think we need to push um, harder? I don't know. Well, I don't know that we need to push very hard, right? Well, we I do because we like, have to we have to use the cost. There's a cost in hyping something, you know? Right. Hyping and There's communicating. A one, one tweet cost. That's a cost. There's a cost in like caring and hyping and you know what I mean? And going for something. And I'm just beat out on it. <laughs> I'm not refusing to. Mm-hmm. That's why we're having this conversation on So my <laughs> on yeah, yeah, yeah my pitch would be mm-hmm. you said you wanted to do this thing. Yep. We laid out like a multi-step process. Yep. We've done 1.5 of the like 3 to 5 steps that are in this process. Mm-hmm. Right? Like let's just do the rest of it. 
and but we've see discovered how it feels. that we're unwilling to do the clips, right? Well, we haven't made an effort to do the clips. Right. I, we, I think we need we to know make that the we're e- not willing. We knew that up front. Ooh, see, here's what I'm saying. I think we need to make the effort to do the clips. Mm. And then based on the experience of having made the effort doing the clips, determine whether we're unwilling to continue making that effort. I'm not down for this like speculative lack of effort, which is like, <laughs> I don't see myself in the future making the effort to do the clips. Right. No, I, I know. would like to like know what the effort to <laughs> okay. do the clips is because okay. we haven't even done one yet. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Hmm. I like, this whole YouTube live conversation could be a clip. <laughs> Although it's pretty long. It could be a clip. A lot of our conversations are pretty long. That's true. Sometimes it's an entire episode, like when we talk about capitalism or uh, a love story. Yeah. What's the other thing we talked about for an entire? Oh, I don't know. I got a lot of feedback on that episode. I can't tell you how much feedback. I bet Deke. I mean, when you you know, S- some guy drew like a diagram. Like there was a whole diagram that someone drew about. Oh, wow. It. it was wild. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's pretty interesting, dude. When we talk about things that are like like that. I get messages sometimes. I bet you get more than I do. You definitely get more than I do because you come to the table with the opinions. Uh huh. For the most part, when it comes oh, to social, now. you got opinions. You no, got no, many opinions. I have tons of opinions. I'm saying uh-huh. this as as like um, not as I'm so cool. I don't have opinions. Is like, how the heck are you able to formulate opinions on such huge concepts and like articulate them and defend them? Like, uh-huh. I applaud you for that. Um, and I'm clearly not able to do that. So I just devil's advocate for whatever position you come to the table with when it's a social position or uh-huh. like a political thing. Um, and anyway, so, so like, I bet you get a lot. Do you get a lot of people being like, good take, man? Like, like how many people are on, are in your corner? I would say I, listeners it, take sides, you know, I would say it was about 50 50 on the capitalism one. Okay. There was a few people who were like, you're a moron. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a few people who were like, uh, hey, have you considered that the owner of the business takes a lot of risk up front? And I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. I'd never thought of that. Um, and then there were a couple people who were like, hey, super cool that you made that episode. I support it. I'm with it. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say probably like total of like 10, 10 to 12 feedbacks, probably two to okay. three in each camp. Yep. Um so it was interesting. It was interesting. What about the base camp take? So the base camp one, we have gotten dead silence, radio silence. With I had the one person of, say that they like agreed with my take or that they like appreciated my input or something like that. So we have a group thread. Yeah. Uh, that has been, there's been feedback there. Yeah. And then also my buddy John uh, told me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listens to the show? No, but he asked me if I had been following the base camp thing, okay. which is crazy because he's like not in our world, really. Right. Um, and I was like, yeah, we actually did a thing on it on the last episode of the podcast. So then he went and listened. Okay. And then he was like, you were good in the first half. And then you went into immovable lawyer mode, which I thought oh, was interesting. A, I thought was a good uh, as a person who has done a podcast with me before. Yeah. He's aware of like when I go into immovable lawyer mode That's where really I'm funny. just like making an argument to make an argument. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he said the first half was good. Then you go into immovable lawyer. <laughs> Did he review, so, review me at all? Uh, he, he gave no feedback on your performance. Okay. I'll have to request it. Yeah. You got to reach out directly. Yep. <laughs> um, 
but yeah it was it was pretty cool um okay okay i think yeah so i i got like one piece of feedback directly and then that turned into a group thread yep um and then you said you got a piece of feedback that said that you're you're cool yep um yeah it's interesting it's an interesting world out there interesting more stuff has come out on Basecamp since we recorded that it's true the which is interesting the the jason freed like apology thing no the the whole like the facts of ryan singer being the cause of this stuff that was not out when we recorded it right 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 at that point we thought it was all like the title of the book oh gotcha yeah um We actually said in the podcast, we're like, who's this third most famous bass camper? You're yeah. Like, Ryan, yeah Singer. Like, Ryan Singer. <laughs> we're like, sure. oh, right. You're right. Right. And he's Singer. gone now. And that's wild. Yeah. Yep. It's totally wild, man. I feel it's, more yeah, it's wild. like lost than ever. But I did find that that like little bit of bearing that we talked about off the podcast mm-hmm. that like it really is centered in control. In my opinion, the whole debacle is centered yeah. around people fearing losing control which is listen i totally understand it right because like if you think i think both you and i are like people who like have left our jobs because we don't like being controlled yes right yeah um and both of us you more than i have like a project where like you have control but like my goal is to like start a company because i think i have interesting ideas to apply to companies and i'd like to apply them right yeah and i can imagine myself getting into a situation where like i had finally achieved that dream where i have my little lab where i can just like try things out and then like people start telling me i can't try things out in my little lab that i've worked hard to build Mm -hmm. and me getting upset about that right yep problem is like your lab is like full of people and like people are not your little lab rats right so it's Mm -hmm. like it's it's a fun thing to want but like it it runs into like problems as soon as you start realizing that like your little experiments like affect other people's lives in real meaningful ways. Yep. Yep. And because of the, like the, the politics of it to me is, is like through this lens is an implementation detail. It's really interesting. Like, I think it's what caused a lot of this because it's so, um, electric or whatever, you Mm -hmm. know, it's just so it's electric boogie, woogie, woogie. Yeah. Um, that's why you know it all came out like it, mm-hmm. it plays out all the time in non-political ways um i would argue that those ways are inherently political sure you could expand what i the definition of political that i just said you know mm-hmm. but you understand what i'm saying yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm saying political so i don't have to find like the perfect term that won't get me in trouble you know sure or won't reveal that like i don't know how to speak about these things mm-hmm. but yeah, so it's just very interesting to me, and and I think it uh, was a perfect storm. But I do think that the root of it is um, fear of losing control, and uh-huh. things exacerbated it. Where it's a perfect storm. There's these founders who are super, like famous, controlling. They are very little hierarchy within the company. You know, there's they've kind of like did this whole thing around having control. Uh-huh. Combine that and very accustomed to like doing sort of big sweeping controlling moves in public and then being praised for them yes right yep but then mix that with um the political climate and the the specifics of the politics and then bam you have the perfect storm so yeah 
Shout out to Basecamp employees. Sorry you lost your jobs. The thing that I said that, we, that really does... Really lose them. Most of them didn't lose them. Right. Most and of they, them quit. That's the... That, dude, that's severance. Sorry, that you be, ha- sorry you felt like you had to quit is <laughs> the real thing. Would you take that severance? I mean, I won't ask you... Oh, I like, would in a goddamn second. If, if basically any employer was like, here's a six-month severance if you want it, no questions asked, yeah. I'd be like, all right, I'll... Any employer, I would do that, especially like, Basecamp in that situation. They, like, they each bagged, what, like 70 grand? Like between 50 least. and 70... Between 50 and 100 grand, they yeah. each just were like, hey... Should we go like, you know, that's crazy. Yeah. That's a lot of money. I'm so I'm surprised. I'm looking forward to the company that. that they all start together called Case Bamp. <laughs> yep. Yep. So mm. anyway. I bet all those people would start like a really dope like product collective together. You Depending know? on like, your view of Basecamp, so you, you yeah. might. And whether it's like, a good product or not, right, which it's might. not. Well, so that's that is really funny because you threw some shade out there with the the like, <laughs> like oh, but if it would be way different if they actually built good products. Yeah, dude, man, I still use Hay all the every day. I love it. I use Hay really? every single day. I st- I still pay for it. I've never used it once. I, I bought it Gmail and then have and never Hay. used it. I need to stop paying for it. That's my thing. Yeah, I wonder how much of my income goes. To- I need to find a figure figure out how many subscriptions I have that I don't use anymore. Dude, bro, at the I do end it like every year. six months to a year. Okay, you do go yeah. through. Like, but like, I feel like I didn't do it last time. So I might be at like a year and a half since I went through it last. Yeah. I mean, I, I have my own shameful list that I'm about halfway through, but then I got sidetracked. So I mm-hmm. still have like weird stuff out there that I just canceled a, what, like $50 a month Notion subscription. Oof. And I'm, there's two people in the Notion team, me and mm-hmm. another person that helped me with the VS Code course. Mm-hmm. So I paid them a couple hundred bucks just for free. Mm-hmm. stuff like that i got a bunch of stuff like that yeah there's um there's a friend who i helped with his wordpress site because it was like something went wrong with his hosting it was an emergency blah 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 blah. right yeah i was like all right let me just like move your site onto pantheon real quick hmm. um i did that What's i moved pantheon? his domain Pantheon's like the best wordpress host in oh, my really? opinion. It's like WP Engine, but it's like more developer-y than WP Engine. Okay. Yeah. I'm like very fast and good at Pantheon. Wow. Um, from my old WordPress days. Cool. Um, so I was like, let me just move it on to Pantheon real quick. Blah, 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 blah. I realized once I spun it up that Pantheon had increased their pricing. They used to be 30 bucks a month. Now they're 50 bucks a month. Um, and I just have this guy's website on Pantheon and I cannot bring myself to like do the work of moving it over to some other random GoDaddy hosting oh, so I can have him pay for it again. So I've just been eating this guy's 50 bucks a month for like eight months or something. <laughs> Every developer like us has this exact experience. The question is, where are you on the timeline? Dear listener, Are you? have you absolved? Have you been absolved of all of your past like web developer kitty uh you know subscriptions to godaddy to um to uh what's the what's the one that host that got really popular for a minute media temple media temple oh yeah dream host dream host i dude yeah man dream host media temple uh obviously you know all the other whatever host gator godaddy um you the listener i've I think I think we just established a, a deep connection, yeah, with everybody listening to this podcast. 
just everyone has like, like a leftover GoDaddy login that they oh, can't yeah. get rid of. And like some client or some, and now it's just like stuff you might do for a really close friend and you're just dragging well, that's around. The, thing. the worst, the worst part of it is that like <laughs> a friend approaches you with a thing that is no work at all. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. They approach you with like, this will mean the world to me and will take you 11 and a half minutes. Like save me from hell, please. And you're like, I will do this for free. I don't want your money. I don't want to talk to you about money. All I want is you to like give me the login and password and then blah, blah, blah. Now they go, it takes them three weeks to get the logins and passwords, right? Yeah. And then eventually like you're able to get in there and like help them out of a jam, whatever, you fix the thing. But in the process, sadly, because there weren't because you weren't able to get all the logins and passwords you needed, you had to transfer their hosting somehow, right? <laughs> now you have their website. Now they are shackled to you like a ball and chain. Dude. It's the worst. This is this is we need to make a public service announcement to young new developers. Never ever add anything for anybody or client or friend to your own accounts. Make them well, create the, the account. Make them pay it. It's all in their name. They so have the username the thing with password. Pantheon. I can transfer the site this is the great thing about pantheon is there's a feature to like transfer ownership of a site to another email address and it, cool. it automates the thing it lets them enter billing info and then they just own it but i didn't realize this was going to be 50 bucks a month when i did it and i took it from like a 10 dollar a month GoDaddy thing to like a 50 dollar a month mm. whatever so I, the reason it hasn't been transferred yet is that i like haven't yet figured out how to send the email like hey like, um hey. i've spent a probably close to like 600 bucks uh just hosting your website and i would like you to take over paying 50 dollars a month for this thing yeah. even though it used to be 10 dollars a month it, it's like just like a hard email to write and explain yep. and then or be like or you can like pay me for a couple of hours to transfer this off to something else or maybe i'll just do that i don't know it's a whole complicated right. yeah well that's the problem with writing that email is because you're like oh why don't i just transfer it on to something else but you're like no nah, i don't want to do that i'll write the email later <laughs> yeah exactly and then exactly on and and it's just like years. you know what none of this is worth 50 dollars. i'll eat this for one more month and then it's like you just keep having the problem yeah man it's dark stuff that's that's the stuff. worst part of web development basically yeah, it's the so... worst part the worst part there should be a company they should start like temporary wordpress hosting as a service and like design the whole thing for like there's an existing WordPress site on GoDaddy somewhere. You need to transfer it in, make some changes, point the domain name here, and then deliver it to a client. Like that should be their whole business model. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like, you would just need a lot of information to even transfer it to the temporary host, you know? That's I the think problem. you just need WordPress admin login. Oh. Because then you could just use plugins to dump the whole database right, and right. dump the whole file structure and everything. Wow. That would be what's up. That would be pretty cool. Um, WordPress, yeah. man. That's I hate insane. even saying the word. I hate, I hate it too. Yep. I hate to say it. <laughs> I hate to say the capitalized word, capitalized press. Yep. Yeah. I'm yeah. I got a new mattress delivered today. Uh, it's a Casper. Um, nice. 
had a Casper already. Um, but that's going into our guest bedroom, which is in the middle of being painted. My wife is painting it okay. right now, just across that wall yonder. Oh. Um, so she's painting the guest bedroom. We're moving our queen-size bed into the guest bedroom king sizing in our bedroom dude this is so funny now we have now we have like an 85 pound dog and we're yeah. like we would like this dog to sleep with us but there is no chance that this dog is sleeping with us in our current bed yep. um because he's so big and he's selfish he's selfish and large mm. um he's got big uh like he's not just a big dog he's a big dog with big legs big legs big paws big you everything know. yeah sprawler He's a sprawler, dude. When that guy gets long, he like he can stand and put his feet on Charlotte's shoulders and like kiss her in the face That's while crazy. she's standing up. That's like, nuts, dude. He's a large dog. So anyway, it's like we would like this dog to be able to sleep in the bed with us, but that's going to require a king-size bed. But also, Charlotte's parents are going to come visit us in June. Um, So we need to set up the guest bedroom for them anyway. Because when you were here, you slept on that futon. Yep. That's like not a good solution. Um, <laughs> so we're like, okay, we need an actual bed for guests. So we're taking our bed, making it the guest bedroom bed. Then we're taking this king size bed, and we ordered this um, bed frame, which I'm really excited about. It was like an internet bed frame, um, one of those like direct shipping mm-hmm. companies, you know, no retail, yep. blah blah blah, called Thuma. Uh, and it's like the wire cutter's number one bed frame, and it's really cool. Oh, and it's like slots go. together. It's one of those platform bed frames with like yeah. the roll of slats. Sure. You know what I'm saying? I'm really excited. I've never had a bed like that. Low with a headboard. Headboards are so important to me. Charlotte doesn't believe that headboards are good. Yeah, they are good. They, headboards are why do you say they're good? Because you need to prop your pillow against them. Ah, sure. I mean, you can do that against the wall. No, because then you push your mattress away from the wall gradually. Depending on what your mattress is on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like inevitably what happens is your pillow ends up wedged between the wall and the mattress. Often, yes. In my circumstance, no. But I understand. Anyway, I like a headboard. Um, This one has a headboard. I mean, they make it. That's one of those new moves. I still am a child because I don't have a headboard. Mm -hmm. But it makes everything look much better. And this one has a low headboard. So my concern was like the width of mm-hmm. our room. It's our, We have a bad bedroom for a king size bed. Mm-hmm. Like it's a small room. Every wall is interrupted. Yeah. There's no uninterrupted wall except for one. So there's like one wall has two doors on it, a bathroom door and a main bedroom door. Another wall has two closets on it. And then there's one inter- un- in, there's one wall that has a window on it. And then there's one wall that's just like weirdly placed where like you can't put the bed against it. Right? Yep. And so we're going to have to put the bed on the wall that has the window in it. And I was like, okay, well, the headboard can't be so high. As to block. As to block the window. And we got, it's 35 inches from the ground to the windowsill. It's 35 inches height of the headboard. Hey, yo. So it's going to be perfect. And it's only going to stick like probably five inches into the window Mm -hmm. anyway so it's like it should work out fine anyway the mattress is here the bed frames arriving later today after we get off the show i'm gonna go paint the bedroom with charlotte uh nice it's gonna be a good situation good uh yeah renovations in the air yeah oh spring is in yeah it's a nice it's a nice feeling 
We literally mm-hmm. have the exact same scenario. We have a queen size bed and we got a taste for the king in Florida. Mm-hmm. And now we're back on this queen and just cramped. It's not fun. And like every day, Hannah's like this. She wanted to pull the trigger like right away, but we also don't have a great bedroom for it. Mm-hmm. She's like as soon. That, that, that's her thing. Like she, we, like when we buy a house, we have to buy one that has a guest room so that we have somewhere to put the queen size bed. Kill, can I ask you a question about Buffalo? Want to upgrade. Yeah. What does a uh 11 to 1300 square foot two bedroom to three bedroom house go for there very like if you wanted to buy my house yeah but it was in buffalo yep what would that cost totally depends on where but let's say like where but I say live. it was like in an in an area like mine where it's like kind of just outside of Buffalo, but yeah. still like on yep. a road that goes to downtown. Mm. I don't know, dude. It would be under 200000 for sure. Buy yep. a house. <laughs> well, where I want to buy a house, like the the house that we were looking at, it's a three bedroom, one bath. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't in, remember the square the footage. No, it's in the village. Uh, it's a suburb really? that I live in. So okay. it's like. But this is there's the town and then the village. The village is very quaint, you know. Uh-huh. It's very Norman Rockwell, and mm-hmm. it is. Uh, it was like they've listed it for two hundred and nine thousand dollars. I think. Okay, that is exactly the amount of the loan that I had to take to buy this house. Oh yeah, yeah. And if you sold it right now, you'd probably get a bunch more. I get like two sixty five. Yeah. So they listed it for two hundred nine, and then it got sold for like. 260 or something some ridiculous amount you know so that's Mm -hmm. what's happening around here so stuff around here like just a normal house Mm -hmm. is which is funny because people listening to this from other areas are going to be like dude what are you talking about like you're balking over no but it is like this bubble's probably going to pop but i don't think it's going to pop in these smaller towns that's what i'm saying like buffalo asheville they're just catching up well it's just that people are leaving the larger cities because they can all work remotely now like Mm. so many companies have implemented remote work that people are leaving LA, San Francisco, New York, Chicago. Because hmm. they're like, why am I paying this stupid rent? Let me go live in Asheville or Buffalo or wherever for a time. Let me sell my house, spend half of that money buying a bigger yeah. house somewhere else. Right. And then just like have a huge chunk of money. Yep. You know, and no longer have to pay a mortgage and, you know, all this crazy, you yeah. know, just like ridiculous. So that's what's happening. I feel like the number of people who've moved here from California recently is crazy. Because you live in a place that like attracts people. You live in a place so you, that's right? perfect for that kind of thing. I don't think I do. You don't I, think people are moving it's... to upstate New York for like fun reasons? I think they're moving to upstate New York. I don't think they're moving to Buffalo. Okay. Woofalo. I think Buffalo has a ton to offer. I'm a huge fan. But I uh-huh. don't think that a lot of people understand that from the outside looking in. Gotcha. You know? Yep. Or somewhere Where like Asheville is a little bit more, uh, you know, people from Buffalo go to Asheville. Yeah, yeah. Nobody like visits Buffalo. Nobody visit moves Buffalo. to Buffalo unless your family is from Buffalo. I'd visit Buffalo. Buffalo if you got a guest bedroom. Uh, I'll get one. And you would because I'm here, but you wouldn't yeah. otherwise. <laughs> I hear there's really great uh, fishing there. There is good fishing. There is I've good heard fishing. it's some of the best for Steelhead specifically. Dude, you know. It's like you know. Steelhead yeah. Alley. Come yeah. on. <laughs> yep. Yeah, um, all the... Basically, anywhere you can fish for steelhead is like a depressed Great Lakes industrial town. You yeah. Know? That's why they call them steelhead. Yep. They just run into the steel. Just in the wake of American steel. 
Yep. Um, Caleb, what can and can't you say about Alpine? Oh, what do you want to say about Alpine? What I want to say, Daniel, I really just want to say how pumped I am about the core. Like the thing that is the most cool thing to me is the core of Alpine that I don't know how many people will ever like. So do you want to talk about the mutation observer thing? Yeah. So I think the core is really clean if I didn't mention that three times in the last sentence, but it got cleaner recently. Why did it get cleaner? I was was trying to get Alpine into Livewire. I was trying to get it working with Livewire and there was something where whatever i basically decided like i think i need to push the mutation observer stuff even further so get this this is how it goes mm-hmm. let me explain to the listener who doesn't know what i'm talking about in alpine you have something like x on click you know foo equals bar whatever mm-hmm. mutation observer is a dom api a browser api that you can use to listen for changes to the page so and i mean like changes at the lowest level like if you open up dev tools and you literally right click on an element and t- and click like edit as html you know how you can just like change stuff yes when you make one of those changes mutation depending on how you configure the mutation observer it will pick up those changes like run a okay. callback and give you a list of mutations it'll tell you mm-hmm. like this attribute was changed from this value to this value Dope. or this attribute was removed or this element was removed or this whatever so I've ramped up the, the current Alpine uses Mutation Observer, but new Alpine uses it in a totally different way, like very deep. So any directive that is registered in Alpine, like let's say the on the click listener, for example, once Alpine is crawling through the DOM and it registers that click listener, it also registers a cleanup function like a function of stuff to clean up if that element were to be removed so that the sure. listener is gone from the page. Yes. For example, like if you just do a, a click listener on a button, well, yeah, so, yeah. If you listen for, let's say you have a click.window on a button and then you remove uh-huh. the button. Yes. You don't want that listener to still listen on the window, Correct. you know? So it's more than just removing an element that has a listener on that itself. That listens you know? to this specific element. It's yeah. like anything that was registered within or because of this element. Right. And then so the thing that I was saying, the deeper thing is that now Alpine has all this functionality per attribute. So if you remove, if you literally like, you know, edit it in DevTools and remove that at click bit in the element, all this functionality will be torn down, even though the element is still on the page. Uh huh. And so it works with changing stuff. So literally, if you have like X text, you can just or X4 or whatever, you can just type into DevTools, literally change it, and it'll all just react. Like Mutation Observer will pick it up. It'll that's tear cool. down the reactivity like thing that's happening. It'll tear down the actual functionality and then it'll rebuild it with the new stuff in the right context. That's pretty cool. Um, which makes it insanely flexible mm-hmm. and just so much fun. Yeah. So it, it uses Mutation Observer at the deepest level. It has all sorts so of like... where, what There must be some place where you're like keeping track of which of these observers exist and how they're linked to what and what happens when what happens. Yeah. Where's that? Where are you keeping track of all that? Right. So I, I was wondering if I, you can attach mutation observers to specific elements and listen right. for mutations on those elements, mm-hmm. or you can listen on sure, like, but like the click dot window thing. Yep. For example. Right. Okay. Yep. Um, so like where, 
there must somewhere be some sort of a link which says like, here's a listener, here's a click listener on the window, yeah, right? But this thing is sort of ethereally linked to this random button over here. Yeah, yep. Um, so when this button is removed, we also need to like shut down this event listener. Yep. Where is that? Uh, where is that data structure? Dude, and it's what so is that dope. data structure? Okay, so when you register a directive, yes, in Alpine, which yes, like there's a bunch of new APIs for registering. There's sure. a new API for registering custom directives, and yes. Alpine Core uses those exact APIs. So Correct. every so it's all the same thing. Big dog food. So when you yeah, when you register a directive, like let's say Exxon, whatever, mm-hmm. you pass in the element. Um, or, you know, sorry, you register, you register a directive that is a callback that accepts an element and then all the extra directive stuff, you yes. know, so that every time Alpine sees Exxon on an element, it calls that function and it's like, okay, here's the element I found it on. Here's, here's what the expression is. Here's if you have any like dot modifiers, like it just gives yes. you a bunch of stuff that you can do stuff with. Right. So in the case of the on listener inside that callback, you would register, you would look at it and be like, okay, they're listening for a click. So we'll register an event listener on this button um, for this click. And so here's a pattern that I am addicted to. I'm going to call it the return undo callback pattern. And it's when you make a function that does something, but the return of that function is a callback that undoes that thing. So it's yes. like when you when you call the, a function the with this thing. Um, maybe. Is that? That's what, what oh, React hooks do, right? Similar. So React hooks, you're saying like use effect how you can return a callback. Or, sorry, yeah, 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 the React effect thing. Yeah, so it's exactly. a little so, different in that, like with use effect, you return a callback, and that's going to get run right. Like, oh yeah, that'll get. It's the cleanup. It's the cleanup. You return the cleanup function. Yes. So basically, yes, basically that. Interesting. I didn't really f- visualize it that way. So. So for example, like in Alpine's core, there is a function called set styles where you mm-hmm. can pass in or set classes where you can pass in like a list of classes and an element and it'll set all the classes on that, but it'll store a cache of what the classes were before that happened. Mm-hmm. And then it'll return a callback that will return the state back to those yep. classes. That's exactly how use effect works. Okay, solid. So I'm addicted to that pattern. It's the best pattern. It, it's like once you see it, you're amazed. Yeah. So, I, I kind of feel like all programming should be like that. It's I try to use it as much as possible. It's so cool. Um, there actually are some areas where it's not it's a bad ideal. Idea. Yeah. Um, I found one the other day, and I had to undo that pattern. But um, long story short, item potency. Like mm-hmm. sometimes you want something to be very predictable and not just undo the last version that was done, but just to mm-hmm. always do a specific thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. With this event listener, instead of just doing document dot or like button dot add event listener click or whatever, I have a little helper function that you can register a listener on and it'll return to you a callback that will remove that listener. Okay. Okay. So it'll do that like element dot remove event listener and then you pass in the name and then the callback, I think. Awesome. Um, so... So it so yeah so I register the the listener and then it returns me a callback that I can later call. So the question is, what Where is calling that? So what happens is you get a function passed into that. Remember how I said your directive callback? You get the element and a bunch of information you can use about the directive. Yes. You also get a bunch of little utilities, 
And one of those is cleanup. And you just call cleanup, you call the function and pass it a callback. And whatever you do in that is won't get called until like internally Alpine knows that you've registered a cleanup function on the element <laughs> that's now gone away. Yeah. Right. So it So basically Alpine's like anytime an element goes away, check whether that thing had a cleanup function. If it did, call it. Yes. So it's actually I explored a bunch of different things. I didn't mm -hmm. want to create a map of elements and Okay, like, so that's kind of functions. what I figured was going on is that there was a map. Right. So if there's not a map, what is there? Right. So I think I'm trying to think if like you you might be able to work me back to where there actually is a map, but it at first sight, it's not necessarily a map. So when I'm uh -huh. calling the directive, I'm just creating a variable in memory called cleanups. And then I'm registering a, uh, a function that runs through those cleanups. Mm -hmm. And then where does that... Oh, and then I'm calling... I, I expose like Is it little, like within the cleanup? Does it know which element it is? Uh, let me think about that. No. So when I when I'm collecting cleanups, I basically register a mutation observer listener. Mm -hmm. It's my own abstraction on it, but you can think of it like I literally once I once I am calling a directive handler, once I'm like calling the thing that you're using to to register a directive, I'm saying when an attribute is removed, yes, on this element, um call these cleanups. Right. You know. And the cleanups are just a variable in the thing there's no like map of elements and and handlers you know uh-huh so, so you so you say so you register a mutation observer listener or your own abstraction of such yeah, yeah. that watches each element that has directives on it yes so when um, my little helper is like think literally it's like on element removed you pass in the element and then a callback mm -hmm. and then there that's where the map exists is in my mutation observer abstraction i have a map of elements and listeners for when okay. they're removed gotcha 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 so it's like a layer of so abstraction you have a single listener for all elements that have directives yes. and then anytime any of them is removed you go look up the listener yep for the cleanup i and then you run it did some benchmarking and didn't find any performance improvement to registering mutation observers only where you need them. Yeah. I found it to be just as performant to register one mutation observer on the body tag. I would assume it would be more performant. Yeah. I, I think it is. It's a, I don't remember where I came with that, but I definitely I've came always, away from that being like, I've always preferred like single listeners that do multiple things. Yeah. Like event listeners. Uh, what's that called? Like, um, event bus no basically yeah. yeah but that that word for when instead of like listening to a click event on an element you listen to a click event at the root and then check if the target of that event yeah, equals exactly. the button yeah yep um i generally prefer that yep and I, I i agree so i was super pumped i just figured that it would be like too expensive um because the nice thing about the little mutation observers that you register around mm -hmm. is they're already attached to an element. So you're never like looking up elements, mm -hmm. you know, whereas something like this, I have to go, th I have to loop through the mutations and discover elements that were involved in the scene, the crime, gotcha. you yeah, know, yeah. 
and then look them up in a map. Um, and there's all these little things about JavaScript that I've learned, like, or yeah. things that I use that I've never used, like weak maps. You ever use those? Mm -mm. It's like a deeper thing, but it's like a map, except the key, like a, a map in JavaScript, the keys can be objects. Have you used maps in JavaScript, like the class map? I don't know. Yeah. It's like they're a, just it's a iterables, data right? Um, it's basically like you would say like new map and then pass it. Uh, you would say like new map and then you have that variable and you'd say like variable dot set foo to bar. Okay. You know, but the Is thing about like tuples basically, it's basically like a JSON object kind of thing, okay. except the keys can be objects themselves. Oh, I see. So it's okay. easy to make a lookup where the keys are DOM elements and the values are callbacks. Makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Which is really convenient. But the problem is that if you create a map with an element, a DOM element as a key in the map, and then and you then delete the that changes. element, if you delete the element from the DOM, it won't get garbage collected because there's a reference to it in the map. So weak maps are maps where they're like really weakly held. So there's no, it doesn't store the pointers or whatever. But basically, like, you use weak maps when, when you want to be really careful about garbage collection, you know? Gotcha. So if the element is removed, uh, and there's restrictions with weak map, like, you can't loop through them. You can only access, like, a key and a value pair. You can't gotcha. iterate through them yeah, because yeah. it doesn't hold, like, a linked list, uh -huh. you know? Um, maybe it, I don't know, but that's kind of the gist. So, dude, crazy. all sorts of fun stuff like that. When's the, when did you ever think that, like, in JavaScript world, you would need to be, like thinking about garbage collection and stuff like you know what i'm saying yeah i i it's it's one of those things that you just you know you go down the hole further and further yeah a little bit every day for like a couple of years and then yeah. you end up in these places and you end up <laughs> thinking about garbage collection and weak maps it takes gusto uh -huh. um and i'm not just patting myself on the back I'm, but like the gusto that most programmers have that you have is like you attempt something beyond your ability mm -hmm. you do something that you think is good enough Mm -hmm. You discover all of its shortcomings and you get owned by more experienced developers who tell you you're an idiot. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have done this. Even if they're not directly telling you, they're just telling you by like having written a function to do the thing that you tried to do. Or just commenting on something and being like, wait, are you actually like, but, but doesn't that have some implications with whatever? And you're like, what is whatever even mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. all sorts of stuff. Like I didn't know anything about CSP. When I started Alpine. Yeah, yeah. Until um, everyone was like, I can't use Alpine because yeah, of my right. CSP. Right. So there's like uh, so many things. that I learned about CSP because of Ziggy, but it's the same thing. Okay. Like yep. you learn about CSP when you make a project make a that thing. seems really simple and obvious and everyone's like, can't use right. it. Sorry, bud. Yep. Yeah. So there's all sorts of cool stuff like that in the core and it's all very, dude, it's all functional. I don't have a single class. No way. Everything no. is just functions super functional and that's why i was talking about i want to talk about closures because mm -hmm. they're so freaking powerful it's unreal like being able to pass around a function that has references to variables somewhere else that's like unbelievably powerful you know yeah and there's so many ways that you can like basically play with that concept and make tons of better abstractions than just yeah. you know than the normal ones that you think to do i think if you had um well i don't want to what i was about to say sounds condescending and it shouldn't so go for it go but for it. 
the reason that I feel that way is because I like lived in React for a while and did a lot of like passing closures yep. up and down the stack yeah. rather than using the like emit event stuff that sure. Vue does. Yeah. Where like, but like that stuff is so crazy when you're just like, hey, here's a closure. Like, just kind of pass this along until it's needed, mm-hmm. and then like it's gonna have all the context that it needs. So like, don't worry about it. It's insane. Yep. It's totally wild. Here's a great example. See if you can it. follow this one. I think you'll enjoy it. Hit me. So we've talked about reactive and effect mm-hmm. in. So this is something views reactivity engine. All these reactivity engines, they have the same API. They just name it different. Some people sure. call it observe instead of reactive. But in Vue.js, it's called reactive. You pass in an object and you get a reactive version of that object. That's a proxy sure. that when you mutate something, whatever. And then the, the flip side of that is an effect function. That's the equivalent of like a watcher. Mm-hmm. Like you pass a, you pass a callback into effect. Mm-hmm. You call like effect, pass callback. And then if it references anything reactive, it will rerun that callback when something reactive changes. That's the core thing that has changed. That paradigm has changed everything in, for me. It's okay. I think I'll say it's the one of the biggest like paradigm shifts for me in programming like ever. So reactive and effect. So effect you can kind of you imagine that there's a map somewhere between the reactive stuff and the the side effects the effects yes. you know that so that when a reactive thing changes somewhere views reactivity engine is looking up in a list of like okay this thing changed so now all of these callbacks need to run mm-hmm. so this is another memory management thing you have to clean up effects like if you remove a dom element you know i, I want alpha if i registered an effect I want to make sure that effect is gone. And like mm-hmm. everything in Alpine's core is now effects. Mm-hmm. So if it's like X text, you know, that and it's like foo and there's a piece of data called foo that's set to bar. Mm-hmm. If you change foo on click to baz, it just... The effect runs, which replaces yeah, the inner Exactly, text. exactly, which we've gone through on the show, but yeah. I'm just really making sure that people are, you know, following along. So yes, so that wiring is all set up. Now let's say that you remove that attribute with the fancy mutation observer stuff that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. You you know, we talked about cleaning up an event, but what about cleaning up these side effects? Mm-hmm. You know? So with Views Reactivity Engine, and most reactivity engines have a mechanism to do this, uh, to basically unobserve something, to mm-hmm. to take a side effect and to stop, you know listening for it so that the garbage collector can truly like get rid of an Remove effect it. you know yeah yeah so uh in view when you call effect and pass it a callback it returns to you it's it's an effect object whatever but it has a um it has a dot or no yes it returns to you an effect object okay that's all we have to know is that mm-hmm. it's a variable that's an effect and you can re you can just call it and rerun that effect whatever View also has a stop function available that you can pass that to, and internally it will stop that effect. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So view has a stop function, and you can basically wrap an effect in stop. If you literally call stop and pass it effect with a callback, it will just undo all the work it just did, you know? Okay. It'll run your method, register the effect, but then pass it to stop, and then stop that effect. Okay. So it just kind of for demonstration purposes. Sure, sure, sure. So I'm like, what's the mechanism here for when I'm allowing you, Daniel, to create your new directive called xdeq or xdecol? Mm-hmm. When you want to register an effect, I 
I don't want you to have to worry about cleaning up your own effects, you know? Because, like, why should you have to worry about, like, oh, but if somebody removes this element, I need to clean this effect up. Right. So I could give you some sort of function that's, like, on L removed and you could clean it up, whatever. Right, right. But what's even better that I could do is give you an effect function that just wraps the actual effect function, but has, but, like... (laughs) Has built-in cleanup. Exactly. Like, Mm -hmm. intercepts the result of that. So when you're using it, it's transparent. It's a decorated effect, you know? When you're using it as tra- transparent, but when I go to pass you effect, I have a variable redist- I have a variable outside the scope of my effect that's called like cleanups or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then in my wrapped effect function, I call the actual effect, get that stuff, make a function to clean it up, store that in that variable, then pass you the function. Mm. So now you're using effect as if you're using it anywhere else. It's that's no different sick. to you. But this effect is is intelligent and has like access. And is like registering itself in like a global cleanups yes. array somewhere. Yep. And that's exactly how it works when you call a directive. Like I was telling you about all that mutation observer stuff. It's all linked together. I'm doing that right in the that same function. That is cool. That's you know? really cool. I wonder like how many other like cool contexts there are, like user land contexts, you know? Yeah, there are for like that type of stuff where like you could just like, I don't know. That's just not like a pattern I ever think about using. But Here's, like the idea of like having like some sort of a global or like component level list. Yep. That is like getting stuff pushed onto it. Yep. By passing that in as like a an argument to a random closure that's going to get passed a million levels down somewhere. There are so many. I bet there are a ton. I haven't been like deep into user land in a while. So all the stuff, all my references are mm-hmm. whatever. But like, here's, here's another cool example. Um, there's a few, but here's a simple one. I needed functionality to change based on something. So I had a function mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, I'll add a flag parameter so mm-hmm. that like inside the function, I can say if true, do this thing, you know, otherwise keep doing your thing. So this is like the basic primitive, like I need this one thing to now do two things. I'll pass in a Boolean at the end to toggle that thing, right? Yep. Well, a better pattern would be create a function for that. Op- so, so let's say that that, can you come up with a scenario for a function that you might pass like a Boolean flag to? Um, sure. Like uh, whoever comes up with one first. I have one. Okay, just use I'm yours. thinking I just thought boolean flag and I'm thinking of in PHP the um array or json decode. The json decode, yeah. So sure. json decode passes you an array or an object based on if you pass that boolean flag true or false. Mm-hmm. So a more expressive thing to do, you could create a function called return objects instead mm-hmm. of arrays, you know, that you pass in a callback and then inside that callback, anytime you run JSON decode, it knows what environment it's in. So it'll return an object. What? So <laughs> basically, anytime you're passing a Boolean flag to a function, yes. you could instead yes. create a function that yes. accepts a callback that, <laughs> well, I'm, gonna, I'm just explaining the API, not the plumbing underneath. I understand. Okay. Do you understand the API? No. 
Okay. So you could probably do this in PHP. I, I'm not, my head's not in PHP though. Forget but let's about just, PHP. Let's just stay Okay, let's just, can we pretend that JSON decode exists in JavaScript? Yes, that's, I'm, Great. I'm okay. already there with you. All right, so the first one is JSON decode pass a Boolean because you want it to be an object and not an array. And not an array, yes. Or the opposite, whatever. Whatever, who cares? So instead of that, uh-huh. the new API is you call a function called return objects or objectify everything or only return objects instead of arrays, right? Yes. Instead of calling JSON decode. Right. You pass that a callback. Okay. Uh And in that callback, you call your JSON decode. You do whatever code you were doing before. Sure. But now magically, JSON decode, it knows that it's being run inside of this callback internally. So it's setting its own Boolean flag. Oh, I see. So you're basically creating a context where JSON decode behaves a certain way. Yes. And you could do that for kind of anything. You could do it for anything. And it opens up so many doors. Like how, there, so, Okay, now can we talk about the plumbing? Yeah, yeah. So like how would you pass the Boolean flag into JSON decode within that context? You Would you just create like a scoped, decorated JSON decode? Right, so in the, you would need to own JSON decode. It's kind of assuming that but it's you your could own kind function. Of, you could overwrite JSON decode, right? Like you could create a decorated JSON decode. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Right. Like you, like one of the, you could even pass the callback a decorated version of JSON decode if you want. That's kind of what I'm thinking you would do. Right. It depends. Yeah. You could do that. And that might be even better. Yep. Yep. I don't know. That's crazy though. Yeah. But there's so many, so many opportunities for stuff like this, dude. Yeah. yeah. It's bonkers. There's, um, I did, I did one where, oh, dude, we paired on this on deferring alpine directive registration yeah there's like all this heady stuff in alpine of like the order that directives get registered yes it matters like yes and we sort of established like uh we need to whatever there needs (laughs) you need to be able to register a directive that runs right away Uh uh-huh and then other directives that run after you've already walked the whole dom tree Yes. Because some directives need to like access stuff from earlier in the time scale. So basically I have a function now that's like, but sorry, the other times you want to be able to just call all the handlers, you know, Mm -hmm. and not do any of this deferring stuff. So I have a callback that's like defer direct, defer some of the directive handlers. And then inside of it, I just handle everything like normal and all the plumbing happens internally. So interesting. Anyway, dude, there's a ton of these here. Yeah. Can I give you one more? Give me one more. I want to give you one more. So here's one um, in Alpine. If you have a, ah, so some directives, all directives run normally, mm-hmm. but there's this feature in Alpine called Alpine.clone mm-hmm. where you're like copying an Alpine tree. I use it for Livewire. It's mm-hmm. basically sole purposes for Livewire where essentially you want to disable certain directives from running. Like you don't want to do anything that has a lifespan. You're just Mm -hmm. doing things to produce like a carbon copy of an Alpine component. Yeah. So you're copying over state to the new DOM tree, but you don't want to register event listeners, you know, that might listen on the window. You don't want to register effects that might hang around, you know? So how do you like create this functionality where you're optionally only, you know, registering half the directives only making half the directives available when you run through and initialize a tree sure make sense Mm -hmm. 
tracking? Say it one more time. You say it to me. How do you make only half the directives available when you're running so through a tree? Alpine, when Alpine initializes, it walks a DOM tree yes. and, it, and it looks for all the directives it knows to look for and it registers yes. them. Yes. But let's say that there's a new function instead of alpine.start, it's like alpine.clone. Mm -hmm. And it's like a you want to basically do the same thing, but just opt out of like half the directives. You know? I don't know. What do you mean opt out of half the directives? Right. Like let's say that there's a mode of Alpine that you want to run that doesn't register any event listeners or anything. Okay, sure, sure, sure. So sure. Exxon just doesn't work. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. But you don't want to have like nasty conditionals, you know, right. smattered throughout. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, uh, I basically use this pattern so that any, any directive that is optional in mm -hmm. this context, I wrap its handler in, in a, a, in a function that's called like, don't run on clone, you know? Mm -hmm. And if, and then when I'm cloning, I have the context because the same thing we talked about where like callbacks have context of other areas. So I can keep all of my clone logic in one file yeah, 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 where I export this function called only run on clone that mm -hmm. looks for a boolean that's set in my clone file mm -hmm. if we should be skipping or not. And if we should be mm -hmm. skipping, it just returns a no op function that mm -hmm. does nothing. So it keeps all the code paths, no forking, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just like optionally returning a no op or returning, you know, an actual, actual meaningful closure, function. Yeah based on the environment, the context, yeah, you know? That's cool. You can just like Caleb, switch you, the context. You need to write a book about advanced JavaScript. I think you're at a point where you've seen enough of the weird parts of JavaScript that most people don't see that like you've formed interesting opinions about JavaScript. And I think that you should write a book or do a course on JavaScript now. That's great to hear, Daniel. I would love to. I keep notes because I really want to. Because I think that like, here's a thing that I've noticed about you. You really all the time want to do this talk. Like we're, we've been planning Alpine Day, right? Yeah. And you keep saying, I really just want to like do this talk about like how Alpine internals work, but nobody yeah, cares how yeah. Alpine internals work. <laughs> they only want to know how to use Alpine, right? right? Yep. I think what you really want, I mean, yes, you want to show off how Alpine internals work because it's cool and it's smart and you did a good job and you're proud of it and you want people to care. Um, but like, I think what you really want is to like share the exciting, cool, low level JavaScript stuff that you're good at that nobody else knows about. I just, I get, I feel like I've hit all of these points where I'm like, it's just so exciting to me. And I just want other people to feel that too. That's what I'm like saying. It's a, it's a waste to just hide it all under a bushel, you know? Yeah, exactly. And you don't, you don't want it to be like these little bits of code that only framework maintainers ever find out about. Yeah. Right. Yep. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should write either write a course or write a series of blog posts or write a book. I don't care. Or yeah. do a series of screencasts or something about maybe you just do this for like GitHub sponsors. I don't know, you know, but like about like advanced JavaScript topics. Yeah. Like, and they don't need to be more correlated than just like these are advanced JavaScript topics, you know? Right. Yeah. But like, I think like this pattern, like this really has kind of like a refactoring to collections y kind of vibe to yeah. it to me, yeah. you know, where like it could be like a refactoring to like doing everything in 
context closures or whatever we you could name yep. this thing context refactoring closures. the closures honestly yeah um, everything is everything that i think is cool is a refactor to closures but then also like i think that most people have no clue how proxies work i don't really have any idea how proxies work and alpine is like completely based on proxies and like you should explain how proxies work because the documentation on proxies is completely obtuse and totally unintuitive yeah um and getting a proxy returned in the dev tools is always terrible. Um, I am not the most qualified to do that. I've worked with proxies a ton, but like, but you only use I've been like also one been defeated by something. them. Yeah, like that's why I use Evans, you know, thing because he did the work of making proxies work with every single thing that JavaScript has to offer. Yeah, so that when you're passing around a proxy, it's like no different than an object because. He's literally listening. He's looking for every little nook and cranny. And I never got that far. And nested yeah, yeah. nested um, recursive proxies are like mind numbing. Mm -hmm. um, but I know enough about proxies to like. I think you should do you know one amazing thing. That would just make my life good and would uh, make me feel great about uh, having caused this to exist. You should do like a 10 minute explainer on proxies. That's that would be like so useful. Um, yeah. because like the documentation out there is so terrible, just like explaining like what, what is a proxy? What does it do? How does it work? Why would you ever use it? Mm -hmm. Um, that would be really useful. I think you should write a book about your refactoring to closures, um, refactoring to closures, dude. And then Oof. I think that you should probably write a series of freely available, highly technical blog posts about the, the Dom because yeah. there's not a big enough audience to pay you for those. Right. Um, but it would be good to establish yourself as you are like one of the probably 150 people on the planet who uses the Dom really, really well, you know, like you I don't probably know, know it. I would, you're definitely inflated, in the top, but... you're probably in the, definitely in the top thousand people as far as knowledge about the Dom, you know, I don't know. I I'll go with it, but I don't. And of those people, like you that, probably but, yeah. are most not not necessarily I most work equipped, with the, right? With DOM APIs a lot. You yeah. work with DOM APIs every day. Um yeah. and you've done a lot of like custom shit with DOMs, right? Yeah. And like you probably know almost everything that the DOM API has that there are in the DOM API. I and the know. other people who know it have one of two problems. Either they're too big and they've got other things that they need to write about, right? like Dan Abramov isn't going to sit down and write like how the Dom works for dummies. Right. Maybe he might, he might, <laughs> he, but he does he probably, a lot of writing for beginners. Um, he has his whole JavaScript understanding JavaScript thing. Yeah. Just JavaScript course, you know? So Dan Abramov's not going to write it. And then like some guy with a hundred followers in, you know, deep in some like W3 specs group might write it but no one would see it. Right. And I think you're like at like a good position to like actually write like some stuff about the Dom. Yeah. To sort of reconcile the like why Dom no good stuff with like, Hey, Caleb actually now having worked with the Dom for a while kind of thinks Dom is good. And that's crazy. Um, I think there might be some writing you could do on that. 
that would be I just would like good to. for the community for that to exist from right. someone who has a following. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's all different like you're describing, there's so many different levels of thing that I want to talk about and dig into. Unfortunately, like I, I think I am the guy who has a bunch of other stuff to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um You but are. But I mean things, like you should do this too. <laughs> it's one it's probably the thing I most that most just jazzes me up, you know? Like the thing that I care about the most is honestly like JavaScript writing. Yeah, low level <laughs> you know? JavaScript. Um yeah, just vanilla JavaScript anything. Also yeah. Dom JavaScript, but but there so there's like like if there is so little out there on Mutation Observer, you would cry. Like it's not there's so many questions that I still have. I've tried to answer a lot of them, but you have to answer them yourself. You have to actually like here here's a really quick good example. If you move an element, so you can take an element, like you can do there's a new actually awesome method on all elements called after mm-hmm. and before. And you can pass that an element and it will take that element from wherever it is and put it before the element that you called it on or mm-hmm. after. So it's moving it. It's keeping the same object in memory. Like if you add a, an attribute or whatever, a property to that DOM element in memory, you move it, it maintains it in every way. Yeah. But um, mutation. So the question is, does mutation observer fire at all? Like, if you move an element yeah and the answer is it does and it considers it a removal and an addition Uh uh-huh but it's very different you end up with all this weird stuff where if you have logic that expects a new element to actually be new Mm -hmm. and like initialize alpine on it you have to know if it existed somewhere else this sounds like a really good opportunity for you for you to use like a closure context that knows that the that knows that this isn't a real removal and addition like yes, in your it actually is to handler. not have. I should think about that. Yeah, because my mutation observer handler is not something I'm proud of. Yeah, so um, I'm saying if you made your mutation mutation observer right. handler like accept like a a decorated version that right. like you know what I'm saying that just yeah the only issue with that which doesn't matter you're totally right but the mutation observer handler it actually is browser render blocking. So the way it works is like when a mutation happens in the browser, Mm -hmm. it happens, but then any mutation observer stuff is, it's a micro task, which is a whole other thing that is so simple, but people think is really tough, but it's really good to understand tasks and events Mm -hmm. in JavaScript, but it's a micro task. So it gets pushed to the bottom of like the run stack, you know? So everything in JavaScript runs, then it runs your mutation observer, then it updates the DOM. Yeah. So you can block render in your mutation observer. Mm -hmm. So you have to be like hyper performance aware. So I use for loops in the mutation observer because I'm too scared to do like, to like filter through all the mutations first, check for additions and remove, you know what I mean? It's like everything's got to be real ugly because it has to be super fast, Mm -hmm. you know? So anyway, but to your broader point, I'm super jazzed about JavaScript. It's my favorite thing in the world. I would love to, I keep a notion that uh, isn't like that full, but like here's the undo enclosure thing. And I have all these froms and then twos um, of like these closure refactors. Little refactors, yeah. And there's, dude, there's tons of them like that, that, that spawn off this, like this steps to closure. 
like any time. So I wrote down all these really good examples that you can do in PHP too. Like if you have a timer function, anything where you're, where you're doing something first, then finishing that thing, like beginning a transaction, then ending it. Mm-hmm. OB start, OB clean, you know, like yeah, output yeah, yeah. buffer starting, output clean. A, yeah. Time start, time end. It's Instead just classic that, cleanup pattern stuff. Yeah. You, well, you have a clo- you return a closure that internally calls the thing up front and calls the thing at the end. And then does and then whatever in the middle. Yeah. So yeah. instead of like calling those do this, yeah, then like that, transaction is like a really good example, right? So yeah. like rather than having like a start transaction, then commit transaction. Yep. Uh, you would just say like a within transaction and then you pass yeah. a closure in that does everything. And then you pass a closure that does everything. Yeah. And this little pattern rears its head in all sorts of ways. Like output buffering. Like that's another one. Like you always see OB start and OB clean whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like it shouldn't be that way. It should just no. be output buffer OB and trice, then return name no gimmicks that's right yeah two trailer park girls yeah. ob trice real name no gimmicks oh my gosh i listen to the eminem show we already talked about we talked about this last week right um i had an eminem show eminem show weekend yes. recently and now it's all it's all back good for you man it's all back that's a real real album it's a real experience dude Yep. I also recently have been listening to a bunch of mixtape Wheezy, which is like uh, Lil Wayne's like mixtapes. Mm. Just yep. like if you just like don't listen to the album, it's like a fun project. Just not listen to the albums at all, and only listen to like hmm. Dedication and No Ceilings and all these like mixtapes that he did that are so good. After I listen to Dedication, yeah. but he's an alien. I sip that shit, pass out or play, play PlayStation. PlayStation. Yeah. The only reason I know what dedication is. Um, but yeah, it's great. Mixtape Wheezy is like a whole different artist. It's awesome. Word. Good for you, man. That's that's some deep those are some deep cuts. That's, Just listen uh, to some Mixtape Wheezy while you're writing your hyper-performant JavaScript uh, mutation observer handlers. I bet, I bet it might I give you a, a, a different perspective. Third wave pop punk is the, the genre I think I've settled into. I don't think you should settle. I think there's always an opportunity to re-examine some things in context of Lil Wayne. Interesting. Yeah. Like, for example, that real G's move in silence like lasagna. Right? Uh, no. Real G's. Real G's. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like okay. lasagna. Yeah. Nice, nice. You yeah, know? you've... I've, you, wouldn't, I've, you wouldn't think. That's pretty good. That's good. Mm-hmm. I st- I still like you know I haven't totally been convinced that he's not just an idiot. <laughs> so. He's like a brilliant idiot though. That's the thing. He's kind of an idiot. Yeah, like he he doesn't play guitar very well or skateboard very well. Oh no no no! But he's having <laughs> a great time. That's the thing. He put out a video recently of him. It's a music video for a new song, and it's just him skateboarding. No, and like he can kickflip. No. You know. But like he's Ouch. definitely not great, but he's oh. having such a blast. Yeah, you know, I'm just like I'm is, really I happy think, for him. Like I think he thinks he's really cool, though. You know, like I think that's if it was just somebody who's like, no, you know what? I know I suck, I but I'm just having fun. Think, I feel like he thinks he's I don't badass think he would in put some up, way. He's around enough good skaters that he knows how good he is and isn't. Right? Like you would you know? think that. So I don't think he's putting out this video to be like, I'm great at skating. 
I think he's putting out this video because he loves skating and this is what he's doing all the time. And he's like, I'm just going to make a video of this. I'm like 40 years old and I'm like getting good at skating. Like, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. But I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. There's always give two the ways. benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Justin Bieber is a pretty good skateboarder as yeah. well. Hmm. But well, I'm sure better than Lil Wayne. But <laughs> Probably. Yeah. He's got those good young knees. Yeah. He's got young knees. But that's a thing, man, that like you see somebody like that, they have like really famous skateboarder friends, so they mm-hmm. look horrible. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, to get as good as they are takes yeah. a ton of time. It takes a lot of work. And it's like, wow. Not to mention like, like their really whole dedicated. other career that they're doing. Right. Like they've dedicated a lot of time to this and most people would just look at them and think they're horrible. For sure. But not not us, man. No, we see through the mirage. We see it. You ever watch uh, BMX, not BMX, um, mountain biking videos? Uh, I've watched a couple. Mostly like people bombing hills from like a first person perspective that makes you feel queasy. Not what you're looking for. You mean like tricky, like park yeah. stuff? Yeah, I've seen like a couple. Stuff a bit. like um, fun stuff. Like, yeah, park stuff, but not at like a park, you know? Stuff like uh, basically like street skating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but with like, a mountain bike. But like where they build like ramps and on the trails and stuff like that. Is that what, is that what you're that. talking about? No. You're just talking just, about like people just like riding on rocks and stuff. Like yeah, n- doing crazy stuff. Like let me. Like launching off a rock and stalling on a tree branch in, or something. Yes. But more like they might like um, get onto like a roof of something and like, you know, hop off of it onto a railing and then or gotcha, just do, gotcha, gotcha. do crazy stuff so you're like, not talking about stuff in the woods you're talking about stuff like no. in an urban environment yes okay cool yep. cool it's crazy like it's very very fun to watch that's wild yeah um you've seen those guys who do like uh like urban street skiing right yes with like bungee cords and stuff yes that stuff <laughs> I love those videos. that stuff's so cool dude bungee cords for anything there i just bungee like cords are cool, learned yeah. that a lot of skate videos uh-huh use bungee cords use bungee cords because yeah. you'd be in a tight spot that you couldn't get the speed yeah yeah. Like i think ryan sheckler's like x games video that won whatever a few years ago they did like a making of and it's, it's a bungee bungees. cord and he just they just like have a bunch of dudes wind it back for him and he just goes it's so cool yeah it is really cool mm. Yeah, those ski videos though are nuts. Like, there's like barely enough snow. You know. Yeah, it's wild. It's like they a just little put bit enough of snow, snow and just then they to, like stick a trash can with a piece of plywood or whatever, and they just yeah. just like launch off an abandoned. Just building do like or a backflip. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. Those guys are nuts. They are nuts. They are nuts. Not <sighs> so. Extreme sport videos are are great. Hmm. I've been making right. more stickers recently. Oh yeah. Last last thing. Um highly destructible vinyl. Have we talked about this? No. Okay. Highly destructible vinyl is the shit. It's um So you know when you buy some sort of cheap electronic from China, like any kind of anchor product? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it comes yeah. in a box and there's like a little uh like a quality assurance seal on the box. It's like okay. a little reflective piece of sticker that like rips really easily mm. to like show you that no one has opened this box. Okay. 
You know what I'm talking about? Like a quality seal or whatever. Uh, right. I understand the concept enough. I can't like picture it on an anchor box, but. Okay. Anyway. Like, they those, have it at gas stations yeah. on the like thing. So you Those know that... seals are made out of this material called highly destructible vinyl. Hmm. Um, and it, it's basically vinyl stickers that are designed to not, it's impossible to remove mm. the sticker in one piece and then tamper nice. with it and then yep. reapply the sticker, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. So highly destructible vinyl is like the uh, vinyl of choice for graffiti stickers hmm. because you want to be able to put your stickers up but not have people able to take them down. Yep. Right? Wow. So uh, it's also referred to as like eggshell. So people will talk about like eggshell stickers. Okay. That's what they're talking about. Um, I got a bunch of them and I've just been like doodling on them and they're super dope. And I got like these like reflective ones that are like nice. holographic. Yep. Um, and so I've just been like doodling and I'm using a deco marker, which is like a oil based paint marker. Hmm. Um, that like Does it take really... forever to dry it takes on a surface like that. Yeah, yeah. And then you go so, to like test it and you smudge it. I just leave them out for an hour. Usually they're dry enough to not smudge if you stack them. Yep. Within like 10 or 15 minutes. But I like want them to completely dry. Yep. So I'm just like, I'll just like line them up on my desk as I'm doing them. Word, bro. But yeah, I've probably done like 200 stickers in the last couple of days. That's ridiculous. It's so fun. You just sit and, and like most of them are just like, like little simple things. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, super fun. I dig, dude. Highly destructible vinyl. Looks it's like it so belongs cool. on a mailbox. It, yeah, or something, or like an electric box or a dumpster or something. Something. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny because there's a there's like a line on a lot of like stop signs or whatever. Uh huh. Where there's sort of like a gray spray paint on the bottom half, um, and there's not on the top half. Okay. And that's like where like. They've gone and buffed tags, right? So like people will oh. like tag the back of a sign, yeah. and then it'll get buffed. And so you'll see like the top half of the back of a stop sign mm-hmm. is like clean aluminum. Yep. And the bottom half is like gray spray paint where they've like yeah. covered the clean aluminum and the tags that were underneath. Okay. And I'm tall enough that I can actually reach the like clean aluminum part of okay. all the stop signs. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just interested to see whether those get buffed. Or what? Or, or if, if they're the, just, the or if they just get left alone. Buffing them are too short. Are too short. That's the question, right? So this is right. my current social Sorry, experiment: is I'm sticking all of my stickers like slightly above the height of. There's going to be like where a, things have been buffed. Be like a lineup, and there's all these short dudes, and then there's Daniel. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, who stuck this here? Um, that I one. Just, or there's going to be like a really interesting job posting soon that's like City of Asheville's looking to hire like a, <laughs> yeah, like a municipal tall. cleanup worker Dude. over the height of 6'4". And then you be that guy. Oh, yeah. And then I just happen get to miss job. mine. Yep. Like, oh, he must be coming right behind me. I don't know. Dude, this is good. How tall are you, Daniel? 6'5". Six 6'5". Five. Six five. That's pretty tall, man. It's, it's pretty tall. You could play basketball. Have you ever been like... I have played basketball. Were you just instantly incredible? Uh, no, but I can get rebounds better than most people, I would right. say. Um, and it's pretty easy to pass to me because I can do this and catch right. things up here. 
Um, I'm watching. Uh, there's a Netflix documentary, The Last Dance. It's Michael yeah, Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched it. And uh, yeah, and I just thought of you. It's like it's great because you're probably my tallest or second tallest friend. Yeah, I'm tall. A I'm a big honor. guy. That's a that's a high up honor. Um, <laughs> my friend uh, Thomas one time looks at me and goes, "You's a long bitch." <laughs> 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 it was so funny. It was so funny. So that's, that's a how really I like to think of description. myself. I'm a long bitch. You are a long bitch, dude. Um, you're super long, and yeah. nobody knows it until until they see you in person. They see you're just me in like person, like, oh, around, wow. like yeah. you know, appendix appendages. Appendi- you, yeah, no, it's my appendix. Just swinging my appendixes. Appendix just uh, appendices. Appendices. Appendages. Appendectomies. <sighs> Just flying everywhere. Yeah. Just like coil up your arm somewhere so, it yep. goes, so nobody trips on it. Yeah, you got to. Yeah. It's important. Uh, yeah, on a plane, like I usually end up with my leg in the aisle and then fall asleep mm. and then they run the drink cart over it and then I have to pull it back in. Did you have Osgood Slaughter syndrome as a kid? I don't know what that is. Where you grow too fast and you get those big bumps on your knees that are like uh, bruises? I don't know about bumps on my knees, but I did... Um, I did have like growth spurts where like my bones would hurt a lot because I yeah. was like growing very fast. Yeah, man. Um, Caleb. Dan Cole. It's 5.02 PM. Would you like to cue the oh. outro music? Let's do it right now. <laughs> <laughs>